Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, broadband talk radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to thank everyone for taking time to be with us today as we provide useful information and insights to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get more, better broadband everywhere it needs to be in the U.S. Now, those of you uh, listeners who, who regularly follow the show and have read <clears throat> my uh, columns and whatnot, know that few things send me over the edge as these attempts by state legislators to restrict communities' ability to solve their economic development challenges with broadband and to make their own best decisions uh, for improving their their local economy. And, And to me, the ability of a community to make its own decisions about what's best for their local economic situation is something almost sacred um, communities own the challenges and they own whatever solutions uh, get fostered on them or taken away by the state house uh, or, or, or the feds through the various programs and so forth. And so if you own the, the, the challenge, you own the problem, and you own the solution that it gets enacted, then I think that the communities are the ones who know best what their needs are. Uh, they're in the best position to, pay, to play a leading role in bringing better broadband to their uh, constituents. And they are the ones who understand that broadband solutions can take any number of forms and formats, and they need to be given a fairly free hand to move these kinds of projects forward. Now, today, to talk about uh, this latest legislative battle that's unfolding in Georgia, um, uh, is someone who's going to help set the record straight about why communities need to be given the lead in uh, local broadband strategy, and more importantly, what happens when they are given that lead. So joining me today is the mayor of Thomasville, Georgia, Max Beverly, and he's got quite a story to tell. So Mayor Beverly, welcome to our show today. Thank you, Craig. So now, Glad to be on it. Yes, it's going to be. Uh, I think it's going to be a very good show. Let's let's take this thing to like one of the, the the key arguments that are made about these networks, which is these networks are anti-private sector. And uh, you and I had a very interesting chat leading up to, you know, us going live. And I want to reiterate some of those points that you've made about, you know, is this really um, uh, anti-private sector or is this really a pro-business movement, these community broadband networks? Well, I think it's a pro-business move. In 1999, which is when our network was started, uh, the service available here was dial-up. We had major companies, uh, health, the healthcare industry, who were in need of significantly enhanced service over what was presently available. And the, the, the incumbent providers that were primarily Bell South at the time uh, w- was approached about expanding the service. And there was, it, they were on a 10-year-plus plan to have really anything much beyond dial-up at the time. Um, what What we decided to do was to come out with our own fiber network, and it has really kept, it's kept us in the game economically. I, Without this decision having been made uh, now, I guess, 14 years ago, I really hate to think what our town would look like today, what our whole area would look like today. Um, we'd have been left, you know, in the in the 20th century, and, and we were well aware that um, just like having 
uh, roads and, and, and whatnot for your travel infrastructure being key to business. We had to have the uh, data infrastructure to, to be able to maintain the quality of life we wanted. Mm-hmm. And and so you've been at this for 14 years, which, by the way, by default, uh, tackles this whole myth that community networks are a failure, because clearly you're not, because you've been at this for a while. We've been at it for a while, and we've been very successful. We do have a, a, local, a local private company that is competing with us, both in the in the cable and in the broadband Internet service. Mm-hmm. But our citizens just love our service. We have we have great service. We delivered at a price that's that's probably averages five dollars less per household, uh, and our service is fantastic. I mean, that's the thing I constantly hear um, from you know, somebody who needs to, you know, somebody who's new to the internet. That doesn't happen quite as often as it used to. But um, the, the the level of service that we provide is, is is really great. Also, it's been a very profitable business for us too. Mm-hmm. And then and to the point where you guys have actually uh, eliminated versus raised taxes. That's right. One of the things that I heard last year when when a similar bill was before the house. Uh, excuse me, before the Senate in Georgia, this year there's another bill in front of the House, they're trying it again, um, was that this, these type measures that curtail the ability of municipalities to get into the telecommunication business was being done as a taxpayer protection uh, program so that, that you know, councils like ours, city councils like ours, didn't go getting into a business that we didn't understand. That's their argument. We, we, you know, they they're, they allege that we were getting into a business that we didn't understand, um, that has some pretty high costs to, to participate, and we were going to end up leaving the tax holders holding the bag in effect, and they were going to have to pay for the mistakes. Well, in Thomasville, not only is that not true. It has enabled us uh, just this past year to eliminate all taxes. So we run our police department, fire department, every, all the services that we provide to the citizens. And we, I, I think we provide really good services to our citizens um, without using tax dollars. So we, we generate all of our funds internally and uh, have, have completely cut taxes. There are not many cities... In, I, don't, I don't know of too many other cities in the country that can operate without taxes mm-hmm. and without telecom for two big reasons. One is the direct profits we make from telecom. I mean, we, we have uh, we, we probably make about two million dollars a year from the te- from our telecommunication business. Secondly, that's what we transfer to our our general government from telecom, and secondly. The telecom business has enabled so many other things that are really great for Thomasville um, that if we were still, if if we hadn't been able to get into the telecommunication business, they wouldn't be there. So when I hear that, it really really is misleading because, I mean, I, I just look to our example. 
and and I can say not only is this is it taxpayer it's not taxpayer protection um excuse me not only is it not a taxpayer protection issue in eliminating it I mean, in my opinion, giving the municipalities the ability to do it is taxpayer protection mm-hmm. and job protection and lifestyle protection. And the, um, I guess the, the the first question that comes to mind, you know, following this is, what is the secret to your success? Because clearly, um, many, I'd say most of the community-driven networks are successful, but they have varying levels of success. And in some states, a lot of the barriers to their, or or I guess I'd say the challenge to their level of success has been the harshness with which um, incumbents fight them. I mean, if we look at Lafayette, they have been successful, but they have been successful in spite of a mountain of grief that they've had to to, to put up with. Um, you guys have have successfully fought off a number of anti muni uh, network legislation, but uh, in addition to that, from a from an operational standpoint, what's the what's the secret of your success? Well, I, I think this this really is is not just with telecom, but it's with every department we've got in in our city government. Is that we really try to be entrepreneurial, innovative and dynamic. Uh, we've got great people and, and, and we try to let our people function much closer to the way a private business would function as opposed to a governmental agency. Um, when these people see a problem, when, when, our, when our folks see a problem, they address it. When they see an opportunity, they, they, they can go after it. Um, one of the things that, that I really like about our city is we give people an opportunity to fail. In, in other words, if we waited till something's a certainty, if we wait till you know you 100% know what's going to happen, you, that you can't innovate that way. And that's how we got into the telecommunication business. And, and for example, we're getting into the uh, compressed natural gas vehicle fueling business now. No private company is going to come in and, and, and do it, but we think that we need to convert our fleet. And, and so we try to have the, the city uh, culture such that, uh, such that risks can be taken and, um, and success will follow. Also, customer service. Customer service is really what differentiates us with a lot of other um, with, with anybody who would come in to compete. We think we have the best customer service there is. Our people, we're close to our customers, both physically and you know, and ultimately they elect the uh, they elect me and the city council and and everyone. So we know we know these folks. Mm-hmm. And we'll work with them. Um, if if they have special needs, we'll get those met. Whether that's that really applies to businesses too. Um, when we have a new company looking to relocate, or we have a an existing company that has the need for uh, more bandwidth, for example, we make it happen. Mm-hmm. So we can be fle- we can be flexible. Um, we have we have a lot of uh, 
a lot, a lot of different things we can do. I mean, one of the things that we'll do that a lot of telecoms won't is, is we haven't done it much, but we will, in effect, lease dark fiber, which a lot of people, um, a, a, lot, a lot of companies won't do. So uh, innovation and customer service really is, is what has gotten us to where we are today. Mm-hmm. Now, have you also um, incorporated wireless services into your uh, uh, bag of offerings? Not directly. Um, we we don't have we don't have much. Let me say that. Let me back up on that. We don't have much in the way of wireless services. We do have a, a wireless cloud that is over our downtown and a lot of our commercial districts. Um, that's that's available. But that's mainly uh, used by law enforcement and, um, and and more public functions. It is an, uh, it is available to the citizens, but but that's not that frequently used. As far okay. as um, mobile telephones, not directly, but we do provide the uh, the, the fiber mm-hmm. to. I think we're up to fifty five or sixty cell towers now. Okay, and it all goes through our system, so we don't directly, but indirectly, yes, we do. Got it. We'll, we'll, we'll be in that for, wireless in a second. Call. Excuse me, uh, Mr. Mayor. Uh, I have a call on. I want to bring our caller in. See what what's up with them. Sure. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation. Do we have a caller? Hello, is there someone there from the six one eight area code? Oh yes, hi, I'm here. Hi, do you have a question for us today? Um, yes, um, do you guys do readings or what? I'm sorry, what? Do you do readings? Readings? Uh-huh. Well, what are you, what are you referring to? Do you do readings for people? If you got to question, you answer them? Um, I think you have the wrong show. Um, ha- have a great day. Huh. A year and a half. I've never had a question quite like that before. Anyway, um, we we will not be doing any uh, transcendental meditation here on this particular show, even if it is coming from California. So <laughs> let's get back to the question of um, of, of wireless. And I mean, I, I bring this up because in a lot of cases, you know, there is a need, especially in rural areas, for a combination of the two. And I know that in in states, uh, for example, in Ontario County. New York, the their um, community fiber network uh, supports a lot of the the cell towers in the area. I believe that Verizon have put up. Does the network offer the ability, say, for uh, wireless ISPs for WISPs to come in and ride on top of that uh, fiber for bandwidth to provide services? Um, and I know we have the. I'm working on a project in Iowa where there's a wireless. Uh, provider that wants to do that with that particular um, project? You know, we haven't been approached by that. Uh, we've got pretty good 4G service here. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and so, and, and that's that's not a need. This is an example of, yeah, I said at the beginning of the show, that if, if the private sector is meeting the need, that's not something that I believe we should go jumping into. Right. Well, our our needs. I mean, our needs are being met in in the mobile telecommunications business, in large part with our help. I mean, 
without I don't think without our fiber backbone that, that the level of service we have would be available. But it's it's here. We've got um, we've got really good wireless uh, telecom, and so. But if that wasn't the case, that would be something that we would be getting into. We would be looking at if it was determined that we could uh, economically do it, and and if the if it was something that was critical for economic development. Mm-hmm. Do you guys uh, are you structured in such a way that you can? Uh, that you have an open access network so that if companies come in, want to offer uh, a competing or complementary service, that they would be able to partner with you guys? I really can't answer that. I, I, I don't know. I mean, that hasn't come up before. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I really, I really can't answer that. I'm sorry. And that that's okay. We can you know we can we can handle that maybe in another uh, another conversation. Um, coming back to the, um, the 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 track record. Okay, so you know you guys have put out uh, number one a very good video that addresses some of these uh, issues. You know I think I may have asked at the beginning of the show or maybe it was in our warm up session. Uh, you know how is it that more people don't know about what you guys are doing? Uh, because you you mentioned that there's or or the video mentions that there's about five hundred thousand uh, folks have received uh, medical services that are facilitated by the network. You have three hundred and fifty thousand uh, students who have received a better education that was facilitated by uh, the the network. Six thousand jobs have come in. Um, do you want to take maybe each one of those and talk about how the network influenced those three areas, medical care, uh, education, and then job creation? Absolutely. That's Yes, please. Let's, let's go into that. All right. So, so with, with the medical side and the medical services side, how has the network impacted that part of uh, operations? Well, as I, I'm sure you're aware, Data transmission is has become a pretty important part of healthcare. Um, with the, the as as particularly as medical imaging has become more and more sophisticated, it requires more bandwidth to distribute it. And in rural Georgia, which is where we are, um, you don't have you're not going to have the specialized uh, medical services all over. The place. Now we have a, a large hospital here in Thomasville, and it has affiliate hospitals in, in other areas of South Georgia. One of the things that enables the hospital to uh, be able to provide really world-class service. We've got a great hospital here, great healthcare system, but it is able to provide world-class services to places that probably would not even still have a hospital. If they did, it wouldn't be nearly able to provide the the level of service it currently does because through the use of our bandwidth, through the use of our network, um, uh, an MRI can be taken in, for example, Cairo in Red and Thomasville. That's a simple uh, simple example. 
I have a uh, friend who's a cardiologist, and he lives uh, a few miles outside of town, and it's outside of our service area. He was being supplied. He had the, on the only telecommunication access he had was through um, through AT and T, I believe. It was a it was a DSL line. He was not able to read the the images that he needed to read at home. So he approached us, and uh, we ran the fiber. We ran fiber out to his house. So now he's got he's got 50 megabytes per second speed. Um, that's an example of how we were able to be creative and do things that that a uh, private provider probably would not be able to do. Mm -hmm. So now one of the questions I've brought up in a, to a number of other communities is um, how important is the issue of healthcare? to the economic vitality of the community or of a, of a community? Well, for us, that can't be, uh, I mean, that, that's, that's really a, gosh, where would we be without the healthcare system we have is really scary to think about. Mm -hmm. um, in addition to the hospital being the largest employer, not only in our county, but probably in about a four or five county area, which it's obvious in a town of of uh, twenty thousand people and in a county of fifty thousand people, you've got one employer that employs twenty five hundred people. That's clearly a huge um, economic driver. But also, without this help, without the healthcare system that we have, uh, it, it's it's one of the legs on a stool. And if that leg were to have gone away or were to have greatly diminish, greatly weaken the whole stool will collapse. Mm -hmm. um, companies aren't going to go, like they're not going to go somewhere without uh, good telecommunication infrastructure, they're not going to go somewhere where they can't have good health care. Mm -hmm. It's just, uh, it's, it's mandatory. I mean, good health care is critical for all of us and for about every aspect of our community. So, Anything that we need to do as far as providing the telecommunication services for that healthcare system is something that I don't feel like we even have an option to do. It mm -hmm. must be done. Right. And um, now, one of the issues I have seen in a couple of communities is um, the situation is they have one major medical facility, they have some number of private practicing physicians. And physicians who you know have hospital privileges, but um, they have trouble, or they had trouble until they got better broadband, attracting more physicians to an area. So you know, and and the irony of that is, in those particular communities, if a physician were to come to those communities, he would he or she would have more business, and they would know what to do with because there aren't enough physicians. Yet the gating factor has been broadband. In one community, because they have broadband, they were able to attract them. In another community that I'm that I'm working with, they are you know looking at broadband as a way to attract uh, professionals. Um, does the broadband have an impact on recruiting good doctors to an area? Well, you know, fortunately, that's not an issue that we really were faced with. Because mm -hmm. we started this process relatively early, we started it 14 years ago. True. And so the 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 
broadband not being available, I mean, gosh, it's been a decade and a half almost since since that would have been an issue. I can I can certainly see that though because I mean it it just it, it's one of the it, it would have to be a lack of good broadband service would have to be just like it is with companies moving in or, or anybody else for that matter it would have to impact doctors' decisions. Why would they want to go into a if they've got a choice of, of places they can move and set up practice? Why would you want to go into a place that's that's really behind the times and, right. and doesn't have the the necessary uh, telecommunication infrastructure for you to not only do business, but I mean, you know, let your kids watch a movie on Netflix. Mm-hmm. So let's let's shift a little bit. Talk talk about the education uh, aspect. How has your network influenced education? Um, and and like for example, do you see uh, graduation rates increase? Number of kids going to colleges increase? Have you guys done metrics to kind of measure this impact in this area? Not not directly on, on how it impacts the area. What I can say is our network has given not only schools in our counties and not only in schools of our partners' counties, a four-county area, but we are providing um, broadband service to probably, I think it's up to 70 schools now, mm-hmm. over about 10 counties. And that's a game changer for those kids in, in those systems. I mean, if they didn't have good Internet service, if, if they were relying on, um, quite frankly, DSL lines at, at, at one and a half megabits per second for the entire facility, they might as well not have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, let me interrupt you for one second again, Mr. Mayor. we got a call on. They've been on hold for a little bit here. Let me bring them in. Hopefully, they okay. do not have a reading done. All right. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation. <coughs> Hi, Craig. Chuck Sherwood calling. Chuck, uh, I'm just really curious, I'm, uh, Mr. Mayor, the, uh, the benefits that you all are bringing to the community, to the surrounding school districts, to the medical community, to counties, uh, are just exactly what we all like to hear. But what I'm curious about is how are you all going to come together to stop the initiative in the Georgia legislature that will impact the ability of other communities and other counties to bring these benefits to their residents? This is a, a, a devastating initiative uh, that's happening all over the country, and you all are just the latest. What are you all doing to go ahead and stop this? Well, we've, done, we've done several things. We've worked closely with the Georgia Municipal Association, which um, is, has really done a great job representing not only our interests, but interests of municipalities all over the state. Uh, but it, it can't just be call the folks at GMA and let them go lobby for you. Um, we have uh, I've written countless letters to legislatures. I've been on the phone with them, asking them. Uh, well, one of the things that I find amazing about this, and, and it, it, unfortunately this is the case here, is 
if you listen to what the big telecoms are saying, these bills kind of make sense if you if you listen to them. But when you understand that, for example, 1.5 megabits per second is not being adequately served, when you explain it to so far, and hope, hopefully this continues to hold, when you meet with the legislatures and explain to them that what a devastating impact this could have on rural economic development and the, the way it could negatively impact not only the folks right now, but it can have impacts that last you know, decades. Um, a lot of them changed their mind. A lot of them listen to you. I, I've, I've had really good responses with that. So what, one of the things that we're doing is going up to Atlanta and meeting with legislatures, explaining, to, explaining the impact that this bill would have. This isn't something that can be done Unfortunately, it can't be done by email. It, it has to be done with phone calls and, and in-person meetings um, where you sit down with them on a one-on-one -on -one basis or in a hearing, uh, testify at a hearing about, about these bills that have been coming up and explain what they're really voting on. And I think that once a lot of them get educated, uh, they, they actually, it's been my experience that they have switched from supporting or mildly supporting a bill to opposing it. Mm -hmm. So I hope well, that uh, continues to hold. I, 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 uh, I applaud your enthusiasm, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm not sure whether you've been tracking it. There are over 20 states that have already implemented uh, barriers to entry uh, for municipalities and counties to get into this. Uh, and there are uh, lots of other ways that the telcos and the cable codes, uh, because keep in mind that th their bottom line is based upon their bottom line and not on the ability of communities to go ahead and build advanced high-speed networks for community educational and economic development, as you all have done. Yeah, so, you're right. We have seen it. We've seen it in Alabama, uh, where they have they have a anti-municipal telecom uh, bill in place. And, and we see it in other places. I mean, what we have to do in Georgia is continue to be vigilant. You know, one of the things, one of the reasons why I'm pretty heavily opposed to this, the current bill, in all reality, wouldn't have that huge of impact on, on my town because we would, in effect, be grandfathered in. Well, that's the way they always do it. They they take care of the people who were smart and got into it early on, but they do not want competition. And that's what you all are, is competition. But, Let me interject. That's right. And, and, and I, I oppose it. I, the reason I oppose it is I don't want to see the rest of rural Georgia Correct. chained to a mediocre telecom system Forever, when we had a hearing last year in Atlanta, the mayor of a small town in east, uh, southeast Georgia 
testified. He did not have helicopters. I'm sorry, it wasn't the mayor, it was the city manager. And and he was he was trying to convince the legislature to vote against it last year. Unfortunately it failed last year. But he said something that was that was pretty powerful to me, and that was you know, gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, if you support this, you know, we are backwards now. Okay, we're backwards right now today. If we if you pass this law, we are we are always gonna be backwards. You know, and, and so please don't you know, give us a chance to emerge. And and that, that was pretty powerful to me. And and that's one of the reasons why I'm I'm pretty active in fighting this is because, you know, just because we made the right decision at the right time, don't, don't let, don't take that off the table for other communities. Right. Uh, let me interject a question for both of you guys, which is, um, are because of the communities with track records, including uh, Thomasville, do the communities have a stronger uh, lever to use when they meet with legislators just by virtue of the track record and a sense of momentum that's in place, because you can you can talk about very clear economic development wins, and all those legislators, I'm assuming, are very sensitive to economic development issues. And we'll start with the mayor, actually, on this one. Yeah, the the economic wins that that we have that that we can demonstrate clearly go to help, but the legislatures. Uh, back down. I mean, when the message gets out, and, and it's a pretty powerful message, we can point to major companies like Flowers Foods in Thomasville that's still here. It was founded in Thomasville and it's still here. And, and it really scares me to think what would happen if, if they weren't still here, if they had to move for telecommunications reasons. Um, when you point that thing, those, those things out, it's, it's pretty hard to argue with. It's it's not a uh, it's not simple to counter counterpoint on some of those arguments. Right, because I mean you you talk about it in clear, measurable, uh, even even anecdotally, but you, in clear terms of you know this these are the things that we've done as a community, and you go through the laundry list of what other communities have done. I would imagine that it would it would it would sway all except for those people who are most I guess invested in the uh, incumbent support you know that, that some politicians get. I mean, and except for those folks, I would think that all of that middle ground you know people who aren't as easily swayed would be you know your audience that you could you can basically win over to your side. And it sounds like, Mr. Mayor, that that you have seen that kind of success in dealing with your legislators there. That's right, and, and quite frankly, I mean, what you one of the things you do is I, I don't, I don't want to sound like you come in with a high degree of arrogance or whatever. But one of the things I've tried to do is, is make it literally make it not personal, but make it hit home with them, and go in and explain what areas in their own constituencies are are being underserved, and that if this bill passes, you know, whichever the case, last year's bill or this year's bill, whatever, that if this bill passes, you know, you are, in effect, dooming these areas of, of your own district to mediocre service 
forever. And that has an impact. I mean, but you, you have to explain it because, quite frankly, I mean, a lot of people, it, it's, you know, the terms megabit per second, that's not going to mean much to a lot of people who don't live in, in, a, in a technical world. It wouldn't mean much to me if uh, it wouldn't have meant much to me before I got on the city council. I'm not a, I'm not a, I don't have a IT background or anything like that. Um, so what's the difference in 1.5 megabits per second, 15 megabits per second? And I couldn't have told you. And, and that's the way a lot of folks, including legislatures, are. But when you explain to them actually what it means, and that with with 1.5 megabits per second, there are a lot of things that just you can't do. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they start to realize, wait a minute, you know, is this really something I want to, you know, tie to my constituents out in the future? And fortunately, last year at least, and hopefully this year, most of them made the right decision. Mm-hmm. It, it, it didn't actually go to the floor last year. It was killed in committee. Right. Always a better place to just kill these things, I believe. Yeah, um, and, and where is it right now? Has it <coughs> has it come out of committee? Uh, it has not come out of committee. Matter of fact, we were supposed to have hearings on it last week, and those hearings have been postponed. I'm hoping postponed indefinitely, but um, those hearings have been postponed. We will see what happens with it uh, in the next couple months. So we're 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 staying we're staying awake there. Mm-hmm. Well, so, best of luck in your effort to uh, to stop them dead in their tracks. Thank you. It's you know the thing is I, I'm afraid if we prevail this year, it's going to be a battle we're going to fight next year, and if we prevail oh, next absolutely. year, the year after. I mean, this is not a this is not going to go away quietly. Like the yes, zombie they, apocalypse. They never go away. Their lobbyists are there year in, year out, every day, pushing their agenda. Right. And Good it's luck, it's, Mr. Mayor. it's very transparent. Thank you. Thank you so much. Surely. It's pretty transparent why this is the case. I mean mm-hmm. uh the, the larger cities were targeted first by the big telecoms, and, and they expanded service in those larger cities. And, and, and as they've, as those cities have been saturated, um, they're looking to, looking for profits elsewhere. And, and they have a large, expensive copper network, mm-hmm. and they want to try to get as much revenue out of that copper network as possible. And when municipalities jump into the telecom business with a vastly superior service, their ability to extract profits from their copper network goes away, mm-hmm. and, or, or is greatly diminished. Right. And I mean, it's 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 not rocket science. We we know why they're after it. It's just the cost. And, and this is another point that I bring up to the legislators: the cost to a community of of not having good broadband service is so much greater than the profits that can be made for selling uh, inferior uh, telecom service. I mean, there's I don't have the numbers on that. I don't have any you know, hard and fast uh, accounting data to back that up. But I can tell you, without 
the system we put in place in Thomasville, we would be living in a vastly different community today. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to I want to follow up on uh, a couple points that you've made, actually at, at several points uh, during this uh, interview, which is um, incumbents will often say, you know, this area, these areas are served. You know, they make big proclamations. You know, we cover this percentage of the community. We cover 80 percent. We cover 90 percent of the country. Uh, the associations that are that are linked with these incumbents will talk about. Uh, you know, nowhere in America can you not get service, or very few places can you not get service. But what that argument ignores is that it's one thing to have coverage, technically, um, but it's very different to have coverage in speeds that are fast enough for where the future is going. And that's really where a lot of this discussion needs to happen. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely it is. I mean, we... We've been dealing with this. If you look at the trend lines, and I'm, I'm sure it's probably the same way for all broadband servers or all broadband providers, the amount of data that gets used is probably four times higher today than it was just five years ago. I mean, it is really incredible, and we're having to make we're having to make additional investment so that we are able to provide the level of service that we provide to our customers. Um, we do long-range planning. We try to look out and, and, and estimate what our uh, data delivery needs will be in three, four, five years out. And one thing that is, that, that is lost on a lot of folks is even if the, the 1.5 uh, megabit per second rate that, that the Georgia law describes as served, which yeah, I don't believe that at all. Mm -hmm. But the, the current law before the Georgia House is that if an area has 1.5 megabit per second uh, service or higher, if a census block has it, the municipality may not come into it unless they're already there. All right. Even if that were adequate today, there's no way that'll be adequate in three years. The, the, the amount of, of data that gets used is really incredible, and it's growing exponentially. Um, the lowest level of service that we provide is six megabits per second. But we're seeing more and more customers switch over to our 12 megabit per second or our 20 megabit per second service. I mean, that's, that, that's growing pretty rapidly. Mm-hmm. Now we're able to we're able to take you from uh, I believe the the additional charge to go from six megabits per second to twelve megabits per second is only I think four dollars a month. Mm -hmm. So that's, we're seeing a lot of people make that switch. We've made that switch at, at my house. So. Mm -hmm. so so really what we're talking about is that you know we're in a constant um, we're in a constant PR battle to to a, to a large extent. And uh, and it's hard because we're we're fighting this thing in uh, where a lot rests on tech terms. And if people don't understand the tech terms, and they don't understand what a megabit is, and they don't understand you know why it's so insidious to have a uh, proposal that says if one person in an in an area census tract or whatever you define the area, if just one person has a service, then that whole area is deemed covered and you can't go there. 
I mean, but it's hard. It's hard for people to gather all this stuff. And the question becomes, how do we make it real for uh, constituents so constituents will rise up and help put the pressure on legislators? But then also, how do we make it real for legislators who are overworked? Some don't work a full 12-month year. Um, you know, they, they just don't know. They don't have the time to know. Like I say, you gotta you got to get with them. you got to educate them. Right. And that's and, and you've got to get with key members of the legislature whose whose you know influence is going to be uh, more widely appreciated, and explain it to them. And, and, and that's there's really there's really nothing that can be the most effective way to fight this is one on one meetings, one on one discussions with specific legislatures and, and just to let them know what this stuff actually means. And, and fortunately for me, if I can understand it <laughs> with, with <laughs> my background, um, if, if I can understand some of this stuff, then I'm able to convey that to them. I don't have a technical, uh, a technology background at all. Right. So in the process of educating myself, I have... Uh, I've really, I believe, learned how to have this discussion with um, with the people who are making these decisions. That's another key thing that I think is important. Is we've got some wonderful tech people. What we've got is, is some of the best there are. But communicating for, for them to communicate with laymen. It's, it's sometimes difficult for, for mm -hmm. them to communicate with people who aren't experts, and that's going to be the case in any field, be it law, medicine, whatever. I mean, it's, it's that's just going to be the case. And so when they go and explain, if they try to explain some of this stuff to these legislatures, a lot of it gets lost. Mm -hmm. and so that's why I think it's important for mayors, council members, et cetera, who are lay people in the technology world to to get in front of state legislatures and 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 spend the time educating them and that's that's our most effective tool to fighting this right because the lawmakers can identify with those folks that's right that's right and they're going to know that they're going to know by and large that look I'm not up in Atlanta meeting with you to protect my profits. I'm not up for personal gain. I'm not, I'm not meeting with you so that we can, um, you know, protect something for my own personal sake and for my own uses. I'm up here asking you to vote against these measures so that yeah, our community is protected so that economic development in rural Georgia is protected, so that education in rural areas is protected. And, and I think they get that message. Okay. I hope they do. I hope right. they continue to get that message. Mm -hmm. Let's, uh, I had a question from, um, from someone uh, about uh, how many people does it need, does it require to run that, the, the, the broadband part of the business? I understand that you guys run a number of utility services but for the broadband part, have you, like, I don't know, is it two people, five people, like, full-time, two people, half-time? How do you, how do you, 
devote your resources in that area? Gosh, um, I don't. It's it, it's a fair. It's a pretty high level of investment in both uh, infrastructure and people. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to guess, and this is probably a bad guess, but I'm going to guess between the services that we provide inside the city and the services that we provide to uh, partner cities who have joined us in, in providing their citizens with telecommunication services, I think we have, I, I, I would I would bet we have 50 employees. Hmm, okay. It's, it's, it's a pretty large, it's, it's a pretty large task. Now, there are, and I don't know what size of staffing requirements and whatnot, but I know there are cities who have very successfully, in Georgia, successfully put in a telecommunication system that are half the size of Thomasville or less. Um, I think there's, there's one who's been very successful at doing it, and I think they have a total of 5,000 people in their town. So it is scalable. Right. Is that um, a Dell, it's by scalable. The way? What's that? Is that a Dell, Georgia, by the way? You know, I don't know if, uh, I believe it's Adel. Adel. How you pronounce it down here. But, uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's actually Elberton, Georgia, that I'm thinking of. Oh, and okay. they have They have successfully put in a program. And, actually, Elberton is the only other city I know of that doesn't have taxes either. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's interesting a, that, um, you know, one of the things, I mean, this comes back to an earlier point, you know, incumbents make the claim that, um, you know, cities don't know what they're doing and they don't, they, they can't figure this stuff out. But in a lot of these um, truly municipal-owned or public utility-owned networks, there can be some really small towns that don't have a lot of people in their IT departments who have figured out how to do this and how to do it accurately and have been doing it for a number of years. If you look at Wilson, North Carolina, you look at Santa Monica, California, you look at um, you know a couple of places in Minnesota, that you know it's not it's not a job that you can put anyone. I mean you, you know so you have to have qualified people. There's no mistake about that. But I think sometimes the claim that these are such complex beasts, you know, these 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 broadband networks are so complex that the average small town, you know, can't do that. And I think that's a misassumption or a misstatement, if you will, about the capabilities that a small town can bring to bear on one of these networks. Yeah, it, it, that's exactly right. And you also another factor for cities and cities and and, and public utility companies looking at providing these services is one of the things that we have done is we have partnered with four other nearby cities to share the cost, to share the human resources, to share a lot of the hardware, and it has just made it a lot more successful for all four of us as opposed Mm -hmm. to doing it on a standalone basis. But there are small cities who are doing it right now on a standalone basis successfully. And so it's it's not as daunting as people might think. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's really um, – now, as far as the actual technology and, and whatnot, I have no idea. That's, that's right. not my expertise. I know, but I, I do I, know I, that there are small cities that are successful. Mm-hmm. I know that uh, one of our guests on last year is from uh, the U.K., and literally the farmers there dig the trenches for broadband because 
they already know how to use heavy equipment and plow and all the rest of that. So they give them, uh, you know, they have a company come in, they train them on how to use uh, the equipment, and they provide, in essence, the the the, the person power to actually get the network uh, laid out. And they, you know, they 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 train uh, people from the community to staff the company, to be able to handle, you know, first-level triage type of customer service and support so that if something breaks in the dead of winter, um, you know, that there is someone competent who can at least resurrect the service well enough to kind of keep it limping along until, you know, the snow melts. <laughs> so there, there's a lot that, that a community can do once they focus on um, – uh, you know, learning the keys of making these networks operate. Um, and, and one other thing I'll sort of throw out as a co partial comment but also partial question, uh, different guests said that, you know, communities like yours, you know, 20,000, 30,000 uh, people really need to, to develop as much talent as possible within the city that is capable of doing various tasks like marketing, like needs assessment, you know, first level of support, because calling in a consultant is good to get started, but when the consultant leaves, their expertise can't walk out the door with them, that you need some homegrown expertise to carry on. And you guys obviously have been at this for 14 years, so I got to believe, you believe, you know, that you believe in that philosophy. Uh, yeah, absolutely, and I'll, I'll say, I mean, I've said this already, and I'll, I'll say it again. We have just a, a wonderful staff. They amaze me every week. It's something else that they have done. It's still, after after years of being involved with the city, it, it, you think you've seen it all, and, and something else happens, and um, and you're amazed again. But the the vast majority of our employees are from right here or very close by. I mean, they grew up here. And we've been at this long enough that we have homegrown talent running this. We don't, we rarely have to bring in outside expertise for much of anything. As a matter of fact, I would, I would say the reverse is true. We probably provide other, uh, other cities, uh, in effect, consulting services. We're not in the consulting services business, but they will come to us for uh, looking for answers to questions that they have frequently. Uh, I don't. We don't really need much outside expertise. We have developed that here, and we've got a great group of people who. I mean, I'd, I'd put up against anybody on running a uh, telecom network. And, but I agree with that. If, if you have to rely on yeah, you know, third-party folks from outside of your area, you're going to be, um, especially if you're planning on relying on those folks for very long, you're going to have a difficult time. Mm -hmm. um, let me ask another uh, quick question here. We've got about five minutes to go. Um, it is my observation that in many communities, once you get to the local level, the town and the county level, this really isn't a conservative or Republican effort or progressive effort or what have you, this is truly a bipartisan effort because I don't see a lot of bickering of that nature that happens at the town level when it comes to broadband. Is that no, you really, you really don't. And, and that's because whether you're conservative or, 
or, or liberal or Democrat or Republican, you, know, you live in the town and you see the needs. And somebody who's somebody who's conservative and somebody who's, who's more liberal or progressive um, are going to see the same thing. They're going to see that a, a big company was looking at locating to your town but could not because you didn't have adequate telecommunications infrastructure or a big company left or the kids at the local school aren't getting the educational services provided online that kids in other cities are. I mean, you, you see this. So it's not going to be about party ideology or anything like that. It's going to be about, you know, this is my town. What can I real, we realize what's good for it? We know we need these services here. It's not going to be an ideological issue. Mm -hmm. So in our last uh, in our last couple of minutes here, uh, what word would you give to you know counterparts, your you know your mayoral counterparts in other states? That face a similar kind of legislative battle. How 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 do you tell them to keep heart and to keep moving forward? Well, I, I would just say, don't give up. In, in Georgia, we have been successful, and and hopefully we continue that success in in fighting this. Um, I, I've said it, I've covered it already, but I believe the key for what folks at at the city council and mayor level can do is spend the time to educate your legislators. And when that education occurs, and, and unfortunately I believe that that education probably can only come from from you and, and from the from mayors and council members in, in their uh, legislature's constituency. But if you take the time and spend, invest the, the effort to educate them, we're not allowed to lobby. I mean, we're not allowed to make campaign contributions. We can't. We've got the only thing we can do is educate, mm -hmm. and 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 getting legislatures to understand the devastating effects that these bills can have on their own constituents in many cases is the key. And I think that would be pretty much what a lot of folks who have successfully fought off these um, battles uh, in other states will would say. I mean, is that uh, you know, the, the North Carolina is probably not the greatest example because they, um, they 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 lost their battle against these kinds of bills, but they fought very hard for four years, and education was a key part of it. And in those communities where uh, again, where they have won the battle, uh, education is a key part, and so I think that your, uh, you know, your advice, your insight is, is spot on. And I want to thank you for being our guest today and giving us some insight not only to the to the legislative issues but also your success because I, I you've been extremely successful and speaks well of the town's leadership and also of its constituents. So you know, thank you for sharing that with us. Well, thank you. I'm always I'm always glad to talk about Thomasville. We are um, we have we have done a lot of we, the city has made a lot of good decisions over the last I, get, I can actually say over the last hundred years, and, and we really see the benefit of it. But uh, we're we're never allowed to rest. That's for sure. That's for sure. 
Well, you have a great day, and all of our listeners, thank you very much for uh, tuning in today. Uh, tomorrow we're going to be talking about a tactical aspect of broadband, which is multi-dwelling uh, multi units and how they play into the broadband strategy. Thank you again for being our constant supporters and listeners. Uh, we'll talk again tomorrow. Take care. Bye.